The Enneacast is sponsored in part by Your Enneagram Coach. Did you know that you can learn how to walk people through the Enneagram and see their lives transformed right from the comfort of your own home while also making an excellent income? Find out how by going to yourenneagramcoach.com BEC. There you can become a certified coach and help others discover just who God made them to be. Again, that's yourenneagramcoach.com slash B-E-C. If we had self-awareness that our particular type, when stressed, does A, B, C, D, and E, then when that happens, we can kind of wake up to the alertness like, oh, that's what's going on. I need to recalculate and get back on my healthiest destination. This is a show about self-discovery. About understanding ourselves. About looking into the mirror to see the good, the bad, and the unknown of who we are. This is about how we relate to God and everyone else. From Love Thy Neighborhood in Louisville, Kentucky. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Enneacast. Welcome to the Enneacast. I am Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. Every episode, we walk you through the Enneagram, and today we're going to be exploring stress. Our favorite topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> One that we are going to learn about because we've never dealt with it before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Sam, I don't know if you remember this. Uh, do you remember in season one when I was inventing games for us to play? Do you remember one of the games that I kept trying to yes, commit to? Yes, I don't know what you ever had a title for it, but it was like, what if we bring our guests in the studio and try to stress them out based on their arrow, their stress arrow? And I was like, that's the worst. <laughs> that's sadistic. We can't do that. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to figure out, like, how let's let's put this person under relaxed conditions and see if it's true. Just and then play let's music. freak them out. <laughs> and so I kept telling you that I was going to, like, hide in closets and jump out and scare you that, and just record it. And I'm glad that we went with games that already exist. We bought them on Amazon <laughs> like regular people. And I'm glad that we yeah, decided so, differently. So so obviously, like, stress is a huge deal. It's something that everybody deals with in a variety of different ways. Some of us deal with it in healthy ways, and some of us deal with it in ways that are that are not life-giving. Like, it hurts us. It's hurting the people around us. And some of us also have just they, we, we've tried all the tools that we know to deal with stress in life. So I think one of the things that happens oftentimes, too, is that in stress, we can go into this autopilot mode where we don't even realize we're stressed. Like, we're already living out of our stress, don't even realize that's Mm -hmm. what's happening. And I think part of that is because we just don't have the self-awareness that we need to know, hey, I'm showing signs that I'm, I'm going to a place that's not very healthy right now. So we want to talk about stress today. And to help us with that is our friend Beth McCord from Your Enneagram Coach. Welcome to the show, Beth. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. Yes, thanks for having me. So, Beth, I, w- I want to start with this. When talking about stress as it relates to the Enneagram throughout your work, um, on your blog, on your social media, your books, you talk about recognizing our rumble strip. Can you tell us what that means? Yeah. So I really kind of talk about how the Enneagram is like our internal GPS. You know, you've got your current location, which is your main Enneagram type where you have a current or a healthiest destination, which is the healthiest version of yourself that we're aiming for. But we typically veer off course and we need to recalculate. But when we veer off course, 
we want those rumble strips like on the highway, you know, you're driving down, you get distracted, fall asleep at the wheel, whatever's going on. You want that rumble strip to alert you that you're about ready to fall off the cliff or into a ditch, whatever it is. So those rumble strips can be super helpful to alert you and to get you back on your best and healthiest path for your personality type. So the rumble strips are all throughout the Enneagram. And one of the ones that we talk about is when you're moving in your stress path with those lines and arrows. And I call those the Enneagram paths. And so if we recognize, like you were saying, if we had self-awareness that our particular type, when stress does A, B, C, D, and E, then when that happens, we can kind of wake up to the alertness like, oh, that's what's going on. Okay, totally makes sense. Now I need to recalculate and get back on my healthiest destination. And that is so valuable. So we don't land into that common pitfall time and time again. Plus, it helps us to have grace and compassion on ourselves. Not that we just go, oh, well, that's who I am. I'm just going to do it. That is not growth. That's not health. It's for us to go, oh, I'm struggling again, or oh, I'm under stress. And it's to have that compassion on ourselves like we do with others as well. So those rumble strips are really there to alert us to get back into our healthiest path. Yeah, that's so good. And I like that you point out that it's it's not okay just to sort of resign ourselves to it, but that we can go, hey, these are the symptoms I'm showing. I need to address these things and, you know, take some agency over my life and over, you know, my actions. Well, I guess let's just, you know, let's just start things off with the heart triad. These are twos, threes, and fours. These folks are uh, really relationally oriented and they're dealing with the underlying emotion of shame. And so kick things off with type two. Tell us tell us about these folks. Yeah. So the type twos, when a type two is under stress, not only are they going to find certain characteristics within their own type that they're not doing super well in, what they really want to also focus in on is that they're going to move in that line that connects them from two to eight. And they're going to take on some of the average to the unhealthy characteristics of type eight. So a type two who, you know, naturally doesn't do these things just in their everyday life, once they start seeing themselves become irritable and defensive, when they're being ignored, or they're not getting affirmation from people, and people aren't listening to their advice or wisdom, or if they become controlling, aggressive and demanding, or if they're dominating others to do what they say, that can be a big rumble strip. These are all things that can kind of alert them that they're starting to veer off course. They can also become very confrontational and angry with others, like if they're not kind of following what they feel is the best thing to do. Yeah, they like they 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 hulk out on them. Right. Yeah. You know, they turn into the incredible hulk. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting because a lot of people struggle with knowing if they're a nine or a two, and there's lots of uh, ways to know which one you are. But nines don't go in this direction of stress. You know, they aren't wanting to become confrontational and angry. They're not going to control and be aggressive. I mean, I have an eight strong eight wing, so I can see that kind of coming out, but it's usually at home versus it is anywhere else. Whereas a two, two feels that they see other people's needs and they are going, basically they're going to be mama bear. They are going to take care of things. And if you get in the way or if there's stress, they're going to push in harder. Now, on some levels, that can be really helpful and good if they're in a good space, right? Like you were saying, like there is sometimes that we're in stress that we can transcend it. But if the two starts to kind of basically plow over people, that is when they're not exhibiting those healthier qualities in that stressful moment. So these are all kind of those rumble strip signals 
that they're starting to veer off track. So it's important for the, for a type two to recognize if you're living if you're living on autopilot, you're going to go into these things. But if you slow down and you really think about it, you can go, how can I direct uh, some of this, you know, profound energy that I'm having right now? My desire to suddenly step up and lead, and to lead as opposed to taking control. And how do you step into an assertive sort of leadership capacity that's life giving for everybody around you, as opposed to uh, to domineering um, and steamrolling? All right, Beth, tell us about type three. Yeah, absolutely. So the type threes, they're going to move down their path, moving towards the average, the unhealthy characteristics of type nine. So the threes, you know, they are, they've got their lists, their checkoff lists, their mission statements, their goals on a typical day, they're just going for it. But when they're stressed and overwhelmed, you can start to see that they're shutting down, becoming disengaged, maybe apathetic or passive. They're also going to probably dive more deeply into numbing out by watching TV, playing video games games, shopping, eating, whatever it is that helps them to kind of check out or numb out. And they can withdraw, become maybe even depressed or losing interest in accomplishing things, or they can become really busy. So they look like they're really productive, but they're actually not necessarily a achieving anything. They're just kind of numbing out in life by doing a lot of stuff. And so they're not taking note of what's going on internally and making sure things are effective. They're just doing. And so these are all kind of signs when the three is struggling and they're not taking the opportunity in a stressful season to transcend that where what what I usually tell threes is you want to move to the healthy space of dying, where instead of you being a human doing, you want to be a human being, where you're able to achieve and perform, but at a place of rest, a place of just being with others, that it's not about your image and success. So we just want to recognize for the threes when they're moving into that unhealthy nine space. Yeah, I see a lot of three, like, particularly, like, I think about my college days, like, I had to had to put it on a lot of three energy, but it was really easy for me to f- slip into a nine space of just numbing out, not paying attention to myself, not my, you know, my emotions. And then obviously, I'm, I'm a core nine, so that, you know, it's a little bit different. But I just, I see that a lot, especially, like, younger, like, when we're all kind of coming into who we are, and we're, we're part of clubs or sports or activities, we're just going and going and going and doing. Um, and then particularly as you get older, like in leadership positions, it's it's really common too, just to to be kind of known for what you do. So um, yeah, I see that that relationship. It's, it's obvious after you kind of describe it. Yeah, I think that I think the biggest thing I see is the danger of busyness as a means to avoid what you might be feeling inside. Yes. Um, so whether that's numbing out or whether that's overworking, both those are actually trying to achieve the same thing, which is if I slow down, I'm going to find something inside me that scares me and that I can't control or that I'm embarrassed by or humiliated by. So if you find yourself in a position where you're finding, you know, I'm really numbing out or I'm compulsively working, you know, my encouragement would be to ask yourself, you know, what is happening right now that's making you feel ashamed or making you feel scared and pay pay attention to that. Okay. What about type fours? Yeah. So the type fours, what you're going to see with them is they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of two. And they're going to defend their hurt feelings by withdrawing and removing their attention and affection from others. And they might actually become over-involved in clinging in their affection. So a lot of times you'll see this kind of push-pull dynamic with fours where 
they typically are looking for the ideal friend or partner. And they might see someone, let's say, quote unquote, from a distance, like a relationship that might starting to come into their world. And like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect person, or this is going to be great. And the closer they get, the more they get to know that person, they're like, wait a second, you've got some warts. And so then you start to see them kind of pushing them back a little bit, like, ah, not what I thought. But then they, when they realize they may have pushed them too far, that's when they get um, stressed and they start to get clingy and pulling them back in. And so there's this kind of push-pull dynamic that they have in their relationships. And they might get to a place in this space, the stressful uh, space of talking a lot about the condition of their relationship with others so that they kind of know where their relationship status is with them. And they might even manipulate or even create dependencies on others that others need them, that they want their help, their attention, and they might actually want others to do favors for them. So these are a couple of things that the fours might struggle when they're in stress. And all the fours said amen. Yeah. I mean, yes. Like producer Rachel Zabo, myself, like we're both fours and both of us are just like nodding our heads off. So yes, absolutely. Through and through that that describes us. Yeah. And so, you know, what we want the fours to recognize is moving into the healthier space of that too, is that the fours are going to recognize the needs of others. And so it's instead of it being more of a self-focused time, it's going to be both. It's going to be, I have my needs and emotions that I need to sort through, but others have their needs and emotions to sort through and I can come towards them and work through mine and theirs. Like it can be a two-way street and that can be a really helpful emotionally balancing kind of exercise for them to do. Yeah. And especially if they can take on the resourceful side of the two that includes having personal boundaries, you know, so the ability to go, hey, I'm going to help you, but I can't do everything for you. So allowing another person to still be their own person and not try to manipulate them in, in that way. So yeah, this is, that's great. Okay, so when we come back, we're going to be exploring the head triad as well as the gut triad and what happens when these folks get stressed and freak out. So stay with us. We'll be right back. The Enneacast is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood offers social justice internships supported by Christian community for young adults like Cassidy Liu from California. This internship as a multicultural worship intern really allowed me to see God's heart in music and the arts, and serving with LTN taught me what it means to serve and represent all of God's people through worship. LTN not only allowed me to explore what a professional career in music could look like, but it also introduced me to friends and mentors that have had a deep impact in my life and walk with God. Ready to see how Love Thy Neighborhood could impact your life? Learn more and apply at lovethyneighborhood.org. Hey, welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And we are with our guest and friend, Beth McCord from YourEnneagramCoach.com. And Beth, you just walked us through the heart triad talking about what twos, threes, and fours do under stress. Now let's talk a little bit about the head triad. So these folks process the world primarily through their minds, and they typically present as people who have things figured out uh, and have really thought through things. So Beth, talk to us a little bit about type fives and how they respond under stress. Yeah, so fives, what you'll find is they may have pulled back and recharged themselves in a kind of a more private, isolated, withdrawn state. 
to the point where maybe things haven't quite been done or they haven't interacted with the world a lot. And so all of a sudden things are catching up with them and they kind of jump out back into the world in going to the average, the unhealthy parts of seven. And all of a sudden, the more focused, dialed in, perceiving type five can become uh, scattered, restless, hyperactive. They might overlook their own schedule and start to bring in a lot more interest. They might take on projects impulsively. So all of a sudden their calendar is filling up and you're going to find them less patient with others, maybe even becoming cynical and jaded in their thinking and talk impulsively and at great lengths. So you're just going to find this more erratic and kind of going at a feverish pace. Uh, You ever tried to email or text with a five in a season when they're overwhelmed? Because it's the worst. Like, they don't respond. You know, if they do respond, it's like, you know, three weeks too late. And it is a strange experience because traditionally fives are just so like they're dependable, they're organized, you know, they're systematic. And then they get into the stress space and they do, there's just a real scatteredness to them that that can be very uh, surprising for the rest of us. Yeah. But the good news is this, is that they don't only have the opportunity to, you know, take on these not so helpful traits from the seven, but they also have the opportunity to take on the resourceful traits of the seven. So during these moments when a five feels overwhelmed, you know, they can also go to that resourceful seven space that's about having fun and vivaciousness and excitement for life, tapping into good experiences and good food and things of that sort, and doing it in a way that's like brings energy to life as opposed to just sort of making life sort more of complicated. Yeah, more yeah. complicated. Right. Okay. So, Beth, what about sixes? Yeah, so sixes, you're going to find them moving to the average, the unhealthy parts of three when they're stressed. And so they're going to kind of start to arrogantly believe that they alone can see all the possible scenarios. And when I say arrogantly, that can really throw off a six, like, I don't do that. And it's like, well, you probably in your mind have thought, well, I thought of that, or I thought of that, or I knew that was going to happen. And so they're starting to kind of get this kind of arrogancy built up. And they can keep busy by avoiding their anxious feelings. So they kind of just keep moving. It's hard for them to kind of sit still. They're just going to get up. They might clean. They might do bills. They might work in the yard. I mean, they're always kind of doing something when they're stressed to keep their mind off of all the things that makes them stressed. And they can worry about their self-image more here in that three space where they're wondering what other people are thinking and perceiving about them, which is not how they normally are. And they're wanting to gain security and alliances with others. So they might kind of put on some kind of persona or put on some charm to establish support and loyalty from others. What does it do to their relationships because they're moving into the relational triad? So how does that? Yeah, I'm just curious about like the relational impacts of of their stress. Yeah. So for the sixes, when they're moving into that space, again, because they're becoming more consumed with their image, their status with others, whereas sixes are normally all about authenticity and realness, putting on kind of this persona or worrying about what their appearance is can really kind of disrupt some of their relationships in the, in the sense that they're all of a sudden starting to perceive that others don't really know what to do with this space. And they start to worry about losing connection or losing loyalties. And so that can really spin them out in wondering if they're going to be abandoned. Um, and so it kind of perpetuates this uh, cycle and th- these issues. 
Yeah, and and it's a strange experience too because as you said, like so often one of the great qualities of sixes is a real what you see is what you get kind of thing. And so when a six gets stressed out and moves into the three space, the six can suddenly sort of become externally defined like all these threats in my world and these people around me, they define how I'm going to live and how I'm going to react. And so there's a real sense of a loss of of self and a giving away of the autonomy that so often sixes are great with. Well, I was going to say, when a, when a six moves to the healthy parts of three, instead of moving to the unhealthy, you're going to find that instead of their inner committee chiming in with all the worst case scenarios or what are people thinking, they start to really listen to their true self and have respect and trust themselves and then move forward with a sense of confidence and assertiveness that really blesses those around them. So they're still in action, but it's more in an achievement on the behalf of others, because that's what they're so good at. But they're getting things done in kind of that systematic planning way that a three can offer. Yeah. And it's it's plans that are not just dictated by external forces, but it's plans that come from a place of personal desire and personal authenticity. Okay. So talk to us about type sevens. Yeah. So sevens, you'll see when they're stressed, they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of type one. And this can really kind of surprise people because sevens usually are fun and vivacious and reframing things to the positive. But in this stressful state, what you're going to find is that they might impose restrictions and limitations on themselves so that they become more productive. They can become more irritable and critical of themselves and others because they're starting to notice the imperfections of the world. And so they want to become more perfectionistic, like they want things perfect. And so you're going to feel some sort of judgment, prickliness, advice giving, They really want everyone to kind of tighten the reins, make things right. And so you're going to feel this kind of coldness, biting criticism that kind of comes out. And like I said, it can really kind of take people aback because in their everyday state, they're usually just more free and flexible and creative. But in a stressful state, they can become more micromanagers and want everyone to be responsible in the moment. Yeah, impatience becomes a real a real issue. You know, when a seven gets stressed out, it's like, I want it now and I want it in a particular way and everything should have been done five minutes ago. And so there could be a real sort of demanding pushiness that mm-hmm. comes out when a seven gets stressed. So that's like that's the negative side of the one. What's the what's the positive side that they could go to? Yeah. So what you'll find is when the seven is moving to that healthier parts of one, they're going to start to slow down because sevens, their mind is usually off onto the next thing and plans A, B, C, D, and E. Like they're always ready for something and not always focusing on what needs to happen now. What is their responsibility? So to slow down, to take a look at what's going on around them, accomplishing the tasks that they have, completing them with accuracy, owning their responsibilities, even if it you know, they can still have fun in the midst of all this. So that's still a very healthy place. It's not, oh, get things done in a boring way. It's like, yeah, have fun with it. But to be dialed in, to have a higher purpose and to take their responsibilities seriously is really phenomenal when you see the sevens move in that space. There's a real sense of groundedness that's, uh, that's, that's yeah, a real gift to everybody. All right, we're going to move on to the gut triad. Uh, just a refresher, these folks process the world through their bodies primarily, through their guttural instincts. They are presenting themselves as stable and grounded in the moment. So when they're with you, they're with you. When they're not with you, they are wherever they are. So, <laughs> but start us off with type eight. 
Yeah. So the type eights, they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of five. And you're going to find eights starting to kind of withdraw, become more secretive, maybe isolated, and kind of observe the situation from afar. And what you're going to see is as they start to detach their emotions, they're going to gain more knowledge because for them, they don't want to be on the defense. They want to be on the offense. So they're pulling back, assessing the situation, gathering more information so they can get back on the offense as soon as possible. And so they're going to be more cerebral and less physical during this stressful time. And they might actually distrust people even more by being cynical and even harsh. And they actually might use this intellect, this gaining of knowledge to kind of belittle others or using it kind of as a dagger or a sword to kind of fend off or a shield to kind of fend people off as they assess and move back into a more of a offensive way than a defensive way. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I've noticed through the years is that in particular scenarios where if eights really sort of feel under stress and even threatened, they may just remove themselves altogether. So they can really take on that isolation quality Mm -hmm. um, and they can take it like literally by like, I'm going to leave and go do this other thing. You know, the gift that the eight can go to, of course, is that due diligence side of the five, you know, that part that's like, thoughtful and researched and I want to make sure that I have a full understanding of the picture. It can slow the eight down in a way that's helpful. That eight energy is so profound and strong and, and quick. But if, if you're not careful, it can it can go the other direction. I think it's an interesting pairing because eights have some of the most energy that we see on the Enneagram and fives are notor- like, they're not notorious. I don't know why I said that, but <laughs> they're like, they're commonly less energetic. So it's like, to your point, like it's just a slowing down from, for me, like whenever I get stressed, I just kind of speed up. I think other types, when they get stressed, they kind of ramp their energy up. But I think eights, they actually have a, a slowing down that happens. So, all right. What about the best number, Beth? What about nines? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So us nines, Sam and I. So when us nines are under stress, we're going to move to the average to the unhealthy parts of six. And this is where we're usually like as a nine, just like, oh, it's going to be fine. It's great. Kind of just, you know, daydreaming in our world, kind of just going along with the flow. But in this state, we are anxious and worried. We are thinking of all worst case scenarios, getting fixated on it, ruminating on it, expanding our mind with with more worst case situations. About a year, year and a half ago, we needed to get to the airport. And we're about 30, 45 minutes away from the airport, depending on the traffic. And I was late getting up. (laughs) No one else was but me. So I made the family late getting or you know, getting on the road and it was eight o'clock in the morning. And I'm sure wherever people are listening to, if you live in a city like in the suburbs to get to the airport at eight in the morning, that's hard enough, right? School zones, traffic, you name it. And so the whole way there, though Jeff was driving, I'm irritable. I'm thinking of all the school zones that are coming up, wanting to like avert worst case scenarios, trying to get there and just not very pleasant to be with. And that was my time to wake up and go, oh, wait, this is my rumble strip. I'm doing this because I'm stressed. And these are the behaviors that are coming out of me because I'm stressed. And I can either stay in this path and continue to kind of frustrate or harm the relationships around me, or I can own it, apologize, and seek that God would help me to transcend the moment. So I did. I apologized to them. I said, hey, guys, I totally see what's going on. 
explained, you know, how I was sorry, but I did. I was honest. I said, I don't know if I can stop right now. I'm going to try. But until we get to the airport (laughs) and make our flight, I'm going to probably feel pretty anxious. But it was amazing how just that acknowledgement, it shifted some of my heart. Now, I still kind of worried that we might not make it, but I felt more at ease and at rest because I just owned what was going on. And I trusted that God was going to help me. And so moving to the healthier part of six for the, the nine is being more self-aware and awake to our thoughts and our passions, what could happen, but being more assertive in it, like taking action, um, not getting too comfortable or avoiding. And so that was really helpful for me in that moment to realize, okay, we can take action. You know, there could be worst case scenarios, but what can we do? How can we show up with courage in this moment and assertiveness instead of freaking out? I heard somebody uh, use the word tenacious for type sixes, and I feel like that when a nine is in a healthy space, they take on that like that deeply dedicated tenaciousness of like, I'm I'm going to do this and I'm going to see it through to the end in, in a way that can be really helpful. Yeah, if the nines can wake up to the scenario instead of trying to disassociate or avoid or numb out, and they fully wake up and see what's right before them, and they show up and take action. I mean, I I think of nines as being elephants. You know, they're this very peaceful community. Either they're playing in the mud and relaxing, which is fine, but if there's a lion around or something impeding on them, and they start charging, you better darn well get out of the way because they are coming and they're focused, they're dialed in and nothing's going to stop them. And I think if a nine can envision themselves for the good and the behalf of others, that they, their presence matters, their talents, their gifts, how God, you know, made them is to bless others and to glorify him. And they show up in that way. They can be like an elephant charging forward and really bless those that they're protecting. You hear that world? The nines are coming for you. <laughs> They're on the way. Slowly but surely. <laughs> we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, talk to us about type ones. Yes. So our type ones, when they are stressed, they're going to move to the average, the unhealthy parts of four. And for the type ones, what this can look like is they're going to start to kind of feel resentful and angry that others aren't fulfilling expectations. And so they might withdraw feel a little bit moody, melancholy, misunderstood as their emotions start to kind of well up. And they desire to be free of the responsibilities that the inner critic has placed on them. And so sometimes they will kind of feel that the rules don't apply to them in certain categories. They also can start to imagine what other people are thinking of them and get kind of swallowed up with their own emotions and concerns of those around them. And so they can kind of take on this kind of melancholy, self-absorbed state where the feeling of being misunderstood really starts to overcome them. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about what it looks like for them to take on the healthy side of the four when they're stressed. Yeah. So we want ones to recognize that when they start to tap into the healthy parts of four, there is this deep seated creativity and inspiration that wells up and comes out through passions, emotional spontaneity, connection with others. They also if they can get out into to nature, nature brings this healing and rest. And the reason is, is that you, like when you look at a tree, you don't look at a tree and say it should be more perfect. A one sees it as it is and welcomes it as it is. And that's a great space because that's where fours are really great as being loving the authenticity of 
each living thing. And when ones are out in nature, that can really come. But also ones in this four space, they're going to kind of withhold their judgments and be more open and receptive to the differences that other people hold. Their gifts or talents, instead of being so black and white, they bring a lot more color into their way of thinking and feeling. Mm, that's a beautiful description. That's that's wonderful. Well, we've gone through all nine types and how each of the types responds under stress and the invitation of how they can respond under stress as well. What I think we should do is that we should go play a game. And Sam won't let me play the stress game that I want <laughs> to, yeah, to play. Yeah, sorry, everyone. Yeah, sorry, I really want to see if you'll go to the six <laughs> if I freak you out. Yeah. So, um, so, uh, so stay with us because when we come back, we're going to be playing What's Your Number with Beth McCord. We'll be right back. In today's episode of the Enneacast, we're talking about stress. And one thing that we as Americans can find stressful is interacting with our neighbors. To explore that topic more, check out our other podcast, the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. And specifically, check out episode number eight, where the gospel meets neighboring. I think everybody on the street has zero trust for him. We come here to love on our neighbors, and I didn't meet a single neighbor. If we as Christians start defining everybody as our neighbor, then what's our responsibility to the actual person that lives next door to us? You're a stranger. Get away from me and my son. You can listen to the Love That Neighborhood podcast by listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or by heading over to lovethatneighborhood.org slash podcast. Again, lovethatneighborhood.org slash LTN podcast. Welcome back to the Enneacast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Sam Stevenson. And now it's time for What's Your Number? Okay, our game today is called What's Your Number? This is based off a real game by the company Player10. You can find it by going to player10.com. So here's how you play. Okay, Beth, I'm going to read you a card, and then you're going to rank what is on the card from 1 to 10. 1 meaning that you absolutely despise it, 10 meaning that you love it. And here's the catch, though. You want to keep the number to yourself. Sam and I are each going to try to guess what number we think that you've ranked this thing. And the other thing is this, Sam, we cannot pick the same number. So after we've each taken a guess, you will then reveal what number you chose. And whoever guessed the closest gets a point. Best out of five wins. Are you all ready to play? Yep. I'm ready to win. We'll see about that. I don't know. Got the power of the nine on my side. Okay. So round one, the topic is HGTV. HGTV. Oh, I, as a nine, love certain elements of HGTV, and that's yeah. kind of my go-to channel if I don't feel like watching the news. Yeah. So I'm gonna get. I'm gonna guess um, six. You're gonna guess a six. Yeah. I think that is a great guess. Um, I also think that she likes HGTV and here's I'm going to take I'm going to go out on a limb here's a few guesses she's a nine with an eight wing so she's got some energy eights like to get some things done I think that Beth has ambition but I also think occasionally she likes to enjoy things that are about productivity that don't require her to be 
productive. Yeah, that's why I like them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I'm going to go seven. Okay. Beth, what's your number? Seven. Yeah! Really? And what's, and what's your rationale? What are your thoughts? Well, I used to, was I would have said nine or even ten a couple years ago, but I think I kind of am slowly kind of getting burned out with all the same things over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a definitely good go-to numb out channel if I want to, but it's like, well, if I flip there and I'm like, oh, I totally know what's going to happen, I kind of lose interest, you know, but it's still... A, like out of all the channels, it's still like a safe go-to, you know what you're going to get, you know, type of thing. Darn, I shot too low. Well, Sam, we can't all understand nines <laughs> as well as I do. Okay, round two. Pumpkin spice lattes. I'm going to say seven. You're going to say seven? Yeah. They're this warm, they're cozy, they're comforting. It's a fall, it's like a good season. But I don't know if she likes coffee or pumpkin spice, so I, I don't want to go eight or nine. I know going on here. Uh, you say seven. I'm going to, I don't know. I think seven's a great guess. I'm going to go six. Okay. I'm going to go six. So flip, flip. Beth, what's your number? Three. Oh, you dislike. Well, I, I don't hate it, but I'm going to stick with my like routine of my own coffee. Right. <laughs> so it's kind of oh. like, what's your, like, your go to? Well, I just make it at home an Americano with a little bit of frothy, you know, steamed cream. So it's just, it's nothing like super fancy, but as us nines, we kind of like our routine. So, but I'll take pumpkin bread or a pumpkin muffin, but I really don't want the pumpkin latte. Uh, so to clarify, I have two points. Sam has So whoever's closest, zero. it's not whoever lands on it. Yeah, it's just closest. Darn. Closest. There's some strategy <laughs> in this game, Sam. All right, round three. Pretending it's your birthday to get free dessert at a restaurant. Oh, I've done that before. You have? Yeah, in Chicago. I told oh. everywhere I went it was my birthday all week. That's because I went for my birthday, awesome. so I wasn't lying on like three, you know, two or two occasions because we went for lunch and dinner. But <laughs> but yeah, like the whole week I was like, um, it's my birthday. <laughs> so so uh, so the question is twofold, right? Like, would Beth do this? But also, how would she feel about other people doing this? Oh, it's about other people. Pretending it's your birthday to get free dessert at a restaurant? I think just as a general practice. Oh. Uh, well, I don't know. Because it's, uh, it's free dessert. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll stay right in the middle and go five. Because I don't know. She might be indifferent about it. Yeah. I don't think it's like her favorite thing ever. But I think, I, I don't know. I kind of, kind of feel like she might do it. I'm going to go six. Beth, what's your number? I put a one. Oh, you are not into this. I am not into this. Well, okay. So my rationale, my first thought was, okay, as a nine, I don't want other people to be kind of taken advantage of in the, in the eight wing to be taken advantage of or the one wing. It's kind of like, that's not the right thing to do, but also like the restaurants, like you're making them get you something for free when it's really not yours. And so also the whole thought of, well, then I'm kind of promoting my own birthday to get what I want, which is not really what I feel comfortable doing. Does that make sense? So those are all kind of like my rational, like that does not feel comfortable at all. Now, if it is my birthday, oh, heck yeah. Like, let's do it all day. Like, go from place to place. Like, that would be awesome. But yeah, so that feels very uncomfortable in all of my nine, eight, and one space. 
Yeah, if I did it in like August or October or something, when my birthday's in the spring, like I wouldn't, I would like hate the attention and like morally would be like, I feel like a jerk. But so there's a spectrum my of birthday, lying for you. On my birthday week, I'm like, it's my birthday week. <laughs> so so there's, a, there's a moral spectrum here? Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll, I'll keep that in mind. Okay, so uh, I want to clarify, neither of us really got it right, but Sam got it less wrong than I did. Yes, so, so I got so a point. You get a point. <laughs> so you got one, I've got two. Okay, round four. Christmas music. Oh. Christmas music. I personally don't like Christmas music. Yeah, well, it's I'll just, pray for you. It's everywhere. Yeah. Is there any clarification? Like, is this Christmas music at any time of the year? Is this Christmas music? Oh, I'm thinking at Christmas, Christmas time. I'm um, thinking like I think it's just Christmas music as it exists. It's existence. See, I'm gonna like. I did dance lessons for so many years yeah. that like I was listening to Christmas music in September yeah. because I had a Christmas recital in, in December. So we had to learn the routine and everything. So it's like every single week I'm listening to Christmas music and I just uh-huh. was like, I hated it. So I can't answer this question unbiasedly. Well, here's, let me, I'll give you the flip. I love Christmas music. Yeah. So we are both going to vote with our bias right now. Okay, good. I will say four then. Then I will go five. I'll go on the top half. <laughs> so, Beth, what's your number? My number is six, but All it's right. a six because it would be higher if we're talking specifically Christmas time. So, starting from Thanksgiving to Christmas, I will listen to it, you know, a lot. But as soon as Christmas is over, I will not listen to it until Christmas time the next year. So, that's why it's more of a six because it, 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 you just can't listen to it when it's not Christmas. You know, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Okay. So I've got three. You've got one. Yeah. Last round. We'll make this one worth two points. Okay. So I could tie. You could tie. I'll tell you what, we'll make it three points. So I could win. You just like to, you like it when I win. That's what I've decided. I go to the (laughs) non-resourceful two and I have to take care of your winning spirit. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Round five. Coloring books for adults. Oh. Coloring books for adults. I think she likes those. I think that they're stress relieving and okay. it's, you're being productive, you're accomplishing a task. It's What's not, the task? not very demanding. The coloring page. Okay, good. Like yeah. you, like you see when it's done. Like I think yeah, that yeah, minds yeah. kind of like to see when things are done, you know, they have a sense of completion. I don't think she gets time to do them all the time because I think she's busy with uh-huh. all of her um, many HGTV projects. Wa- HGTV yeah. watching. That's what she's busy yeah. with. Okay, your, so what are you saying? I'm saying six. I'm going to roll the dice on this. Six is a really... Smart guess. I'm going to go seven, and we're going to see if I was right or not. Beth, what's your number? Nine. Whoa. She loves them. I thought I she well, We them. know what to get Beth for Christmas this year. <laughs> no, I do. I love them. I haven't, like you said, I haven't had as much time to, like, really do them, but I did for a season buy, like, really nice pencil, like, colored pencils and the whole thing, and, you know, it's just such a great way to kind of numb out but be creative but no one really cares <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah 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 so. yep okay uh, so jesse totally won okay like, so no contest if that last round was worth three points yeah so <laughs> you won. i obliterated you yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so thanks thanks for losing thanks for losing <laughs> thanks for losing uh okay so let's uh let's take some questions from listeners
So this question comes from Valerie Van Spingen. What are signs for each type that they may be more stressed out than they realize, and how can we help them? I mean, I think the things we already talked about are like some really good indications. Um, yeah, what about the how we can help them? Because I think that the, I mean, this episode is great advice. Like each type kind of has these warning signs. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this, though. I'm almost thinking the how do you help someone recognize they're stressed if they don't yet recognize it? Yeah, I mean, like that I would say... Because sometimes we can see, you know, like, let's say you're driving, like the person's driving and you're in the passenger side and you could see that they're veering off course. And instead of being like, dude, get on the road, you know, like that's not helpful when people are veering off course. Like, but it's nice to just tap them and say, hey, 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 <laughs> like, come on, let's get back on the road. So I think it is helpful for us to recognize another person's type and what it looks like when they get stressed and veer off course so that we can say, Hey, I've noticed this about you. And I wondered if there's anything I can do to kind of help you in this season of being stressed, or is there something you want to talk about? Or is there anything I can do? Like coming at it with that empathy and that compassion and trying to understand is much more, you're going to much more likely get good feedback or a dialogue with that person versus if you're kind of just pushing on them or like showing them all their faults, they're just going to bristle up and that's just not going to go well. I think it's common for us to be the last ones that know that we are stressed. Like it's it's very common for us to be so sort of tuned out to our own state of being that we're stressed out and everybody else can tell we're stressed out, but we don't even realize that we're stressed out because we're just living the experience. You're in survival mode almost. Yeah. Okay, this one comes from our friend Rachel Bellham. Does each type have stress triggers unique to their type? Yes. Yeah, so what would activate someone into stress or activate someone into conflict or any of those things definitely is type-specific, which is why we get frustrated with other people. You know, like I might get stressed out and someone else, you know, for some reason, they're like, what's, what's your deal? Like, this is not a big deal. And it's like, what? This is a huge deal, you know? And when we look at the why, you know, those core motivations inside each type, you'll see something arising and a reason that it's kind of rising up. So definitely. Yeah. So for example, like I think of couples, you know, that argue over certain topics and, so there might be a husband that gets stressed out every time that, you know, anything related to money, that's going to be stressful for him. And that could be related to his Enneagram type. And then, you know, but the wife is not concerned. Like it, it doesn't bother her. She's not alarmed with it. But the wife might be more alarmed with their relational status with friends and the husband like doesn't particularly care. Like he's right. just not concerned about those things. And so in those scenarios, I mean, you know, you've got a husband that's got some five energy or some nine energy. You've got a wife that's got some, you know, two or some three or some one. So yeah. So, so exactly what Beth said, like it, there are definitely triggers that tend to be thematic to each type. Mm -hmm. And that's why story is so important. And I think that, you know, I think when I think of triggers and trauma, I think of story. And so you always, you always have to know kind of somebody's backstory that forms their personality and forms their Enneagram type, because that's going to come into play whenever stress comes into their life. Yeah. Okay. This question is from an anonymous listener and they say, how accurate are stress arrows? I don't really see attributes of my arrow type when I'm stressed. Hmm. I would contend that may not be your type. I think it's they're pretty darn accurate. They're 
you know, I tell people when they're trying to find their type, there's lots of ways to kind of narrow it in if it doesn't pop out at you right away. But I would definitely say the lines and the arrows are a very good indication that you're on the right track or that you're not. So Sam, if we want to confirm that you're a nine, let me scare you. No, that's not what we're saying. (laughs) That's what Beth just recommended. You should empower (laughs) me to be secure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, this has been great, Beth. We really appreciate you spending some time with us today. It's always fun to talk with you. And we're so thankful for all the wisdom that you've given our listeners. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. This has been fun. Well, thanks to our special guest today, Beth McCord. Again, you can pick up Beth's books as well as learn so much about the Enneagram by going to her website at yourenneagramcoach.com. And if you're interested in becoming an Enneagram coach, uh, head over to yourenneagramcoach.com where you can learn more about how you can coach others to a better, fuller life uh, through the gospel and the Enneagram. As always, thanks to our friends at Crosspoint Ministry who trained us in the Enneagram. You can learn more about their work at crosspointministry.com. Our show is a production of Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood provides social action internships supported by Christian community for young adults ages 18 to 30. Come serve with us for a summer or a year, growing your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovetheneighborhood.org. Today's episode was produced by myself, Sam Stevenson, and Rachel Zabo. Engineering and editing by The Rachel Zabo. Music for today's episode comes from Murphy DX. I'm Sam Stevenson. And I'm Jesse Eubanks. Remember, the eye can see everything but itself. Find people to journey with you because you were created for community. Mm-hmm.